Okay, okay, we're going to get to the podcast in just one minute. But imagine I gave you the opportunity to invest in Microsoft, in Apple, in Tesla at its infancy. And now you made all this profit and it would be unbelievable. You'd be so thankful and so grateful. I believe that that day is today for Torch. Because for the next 36 hours, every donation you contribute at givetorch.net is doubled by our generous matchers, and you can come in at the ground floor. Yes, last year, over 1 million people enjoyed our podcasts. You as well, I hope. And I believe we can get to 10 million this year, but we need your help. It's only one day a year that we ask. We need your contribution. We need your partnership. We love your partnership and your friendship. Please contribute at givetorch.net, givetorch.net. Every dollar is matched. I apologize for taking your time. Thank you so much in advance for your support. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Unboxing Judaism podcast. My name is Rabbi Ari Wolby. Rabbi Yaakov Nagel. It's great being back. It's been a bit of a hiatus, but uh, we're back and ready and rearing to go. So, welcome. So, we're on to our first question. The first question that has been uh, posed to us that I think is very, very important for us to address is we are very confident always as Jews that we have it right. We know what's best. I Generally, people always think that they're right and they know what's best. But as Jews particularly, we believe we have the Torah. We have the mitzvos. And the Jewish way is the best way to live life. So the question being asked is why are we so confident of that and what does Judaism particularly offer that other religions do not offer? That means what is unique about Judaism that people who practice and learn the Torah can be reassured that this is the way God wanted us to live life? First off, I just want to address a little bit the questioner. Who's asking this question? You know, everybody, you know, says that this is my religion. This is what I believe to be true. This is my truth, what speaks to me. And then the skeptic says, well, you know, since that's what everyone says, so then how do I know what you're saying is more true than what he's saying? Of course, uh, so, you know, you speak to an imam, he's going to say, well, our religion is the religion of peace, and it has all the amazing things, all the great qualities, and the same with the Christian, and the same with the Buddhist, the same with every religion is going to claim that they have the monopoly on the truth, and Judaism is no different than that. And therefore, it really is a fair question. It's not... uh uh, but, but the first question I, what I would ask is the questioner is like, why are you asking this question? What's motivating your question? Is it a motivation to, as like a cop out? You want to skip out on having to do what you need to do. You want to avoid things. And it's just convenience to say, oh, well, who says it's all true anyway? And, what makes you think that your story is a better story than the next guy's? As rabbis, we one of the things that we learn very quickly is that there are questions that are true questions that 
need answers. And then there are questions that are answers. It's the reason why I'm not doing this or that is because of this question. And it's not really a question that I want an answer to. It's a statement and an answer. So I, I'm, I'm asking this uh, on, on behalf of this individual who's genuinely interested in understanding what is unique about Judaism that I should take it seriously. If someone were to meet me, and I meet many people on a regular basis, and I tell them, I believe with every fiber of my being that Judaism is the absolute best way to live life. The absolute best way to live life is a Torah life. I have no question, no doubt, and I believe that with every fiber of my being. So the question is, why do you feel so confident, Rabbi Walby, that you think you've got it right? So I, I, I'm... I'm presenting this question on behalf of the many who have asked this to me. What gives you the confidence to say that? That maybe you're wrong. Maybe it's just your own arrogance, your own uh, self-serving uh, habits that you got into as a child, uh, You know, keeping Shabbos, keeping kosher. Why in the world should I observe that? Growing up perhaps non-religious, why should someone who grew up with, to, to them, this this may be foreign. Why should they even consider a path that to them seems archaic? So the, when I was asking before, it depends who's asking this question, I do think that the first, the first thing you need to think about is if you were born Jewish, let's say that's the religion that you were born into, and you didn't grow up necessarily, necessarily religious. You had maybe a bar mitzvah. You, uh, passed over, you had a Passover Seder. You had a few smatterings of, uh, Jewish life. You're comfortable with Jewish food. You know all the good Jewish jokes. I don't know. That's how you grew up, which is co- very common. And you were asking this question. Well, you know what? Don't you think that the right thing to do is, before looking elsewhere or before just closing the door, let's look seriously at the religion that I was born into and actually study it. And sometimes that's the best answer to give is, you know what, maybe, maybe you're absolutely right. Maybe it's not real. Maybe it's wrong. Why don't you come and study and learn and see what you could find? And ask the hard questions and the hard-hitting questions and ask again and see what happens. And then don't take my word for it that I'm convinced because that's not important what I feel. What's important is what you feel. But first, your first duty is to look into this yourself and make it your goal that I am going to explore my own religion that I was born into and to see if indeed it stands the test of my rigorous questioning, my what bothers me about it, and find yourself a rabbi, find yourself a place to study, and you will find that you're already way better than all the people who just copped out and said, who says it is, so therefore I'm not going to bother. Come study. That's the first answer. I love that, Rabbi Nagel. Thank you so much. I, you know, what I was thinking is that why in the world did God create the world? 
Why did God create a world which is so complicated, which is so complex, with you know all of the billions of human beings on it, with all of the billions of animals on it, with all of the billions of stars and and and, and the constellations and the galaxies and everything? What what do we need this world for? What does God need this headache for? God has to make sure that everyone has food every day. God has to make sure that everyone is is taken care of. What does God need this headache for? And our sages teach us in the Talmud, God created the world to do good for his creations. God wants good. God wants us happy. God wants to take care of us. It's like people desire to have children. Why do they desire to have children? Because they want to give to someone, they want to have someone that they can shower with love, and and they someone that 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 who, being dependent on them, they'll be able to take care of them. Hashem wants to take care of us; He wants to shower us with goodness. So He creates this world, which is complicated. We see in this week's Torah portion, Parshas Noach, <laughs> they got it wrong. A whole generation got it wrong. Not knowing how to live life the proper way. And God says, I got to erase them all off the face of the earth. And now what happens? God says, we're going to restart. We're going to start all over again. And then what happens? Uh, 1,500 years later, the Jewish people receive a Torah. And that Torah is the manual for living. That is the prized possession of the Jewish people. It's an inheritance that the Jewish people received that gives us the manual, the guide to how to live life. We have a perfect world that was created for each and every one of us to maximize pleasure in this world. Hashem gave us a world, God created a world, so that we enjoy from it. And the Talmud even says that after someone passes away from this world, they're going to be held accountable for all the pleasures that God created in this world that we didn't enjoy from. I created the Swiss Alps. You didn't enjoy from them. I created, you know, uh, the, the, the glaciers and all of the geysers in, in Yellowstone National Park and you didn't enjoy from them. God wants us to enjoy. He brought us here to enjoy. But what's the proper way to enjoy that it's not only a physical pleasure alone, but a spiritual pleasure that goes along with it? That is the brilliance of the Torah. We're not extremists. We're the most balanced people on earth. We have times where we have to eat. We have times when we're not allowed to eat. We have times when we have to dance. We have times that we have to mourn. We have a balance in Judaism. And that balance is the balance of of joy and perfection in the way we live our life. And that's, to me, the Torah is the manual of how to get the most out of life. It's a, a great privilege that we pray for every single day, Hashem gave us, He chose us from all the other nations. Why did He choose us? Because we chose Him. He said, who wants it? Who wants the Torah? And everyone said, uh, well, what does it say in it? He says to the Germans, thou shall not murder. Then they're like, Arraus, we're out. And he goes to the, to the French, thou shall not uh, covet your neighbor's wife. Forget it, not for us. And each nation, each nation, keeps on asking what's in the Torah, and they get the answer, and they're like, no, 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 no. In fact, I saw a beautiful Midrash. The Midrash says that all of the... What happens? So you had a uh, 100 million uh, Frenchies, and they, they, you know, not everyone said they're not interested in the Torah. The majority, it was a majority vote. What happens to the minority that said, no, 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 we should take the Torah? 
Those are the future converts to the Jewish people. There was, they, were the, they were the ones who said yes, and they're the ones who get the privilege, I guess, of joining uh, the Jewish people. But this is, in my perspective, the, the reason we can be confident that indeed our way is the correct way, because we have the original document, the manual. It, it's like imagine if you have a board game. You have all these different pieces of Monopoly. And it has the red red motels and the green houses and it has the dice and it has the cards and it has all of these different pieces and you're trying to figure out how to play the game. But you don't have the instruction manual. So you can make believe you know how to play the game and you can, be, you can even create, a, create your own system. But you're not going to maximize the way, I mean, the likelihood for someone to coincidentally figure out what the manufacturer of that game embedded into this game, they embedded it so that you can maximize joy and pleasure from this game. You try to change the rules, you'll probably won't enjoy the game as much. God created this world. He's the manufacturer. He gave us the manual, how to maximize pleasure. An important question that I guess correlates to this, especially studying the to a portion of uh, Noah and seeing what happened to the generation of the flood and subsequently the generation of the dispersion. And later on in the parshas, till we received the Torah so many generations later, raises the question, why didn't God go straight with to Adam, first man, and give him the manual? Why are we wait? Why did he wait all this time, so many generations later, to provide the manual? And this is really a question I guess might bother people. Is like, if it's really the real religion and really true, so then how does this fit in with the whole picture? And therefore, it's it's a very important question I think to address. So let me just address it. The way people are. Human nature is that if you're given something in the beginning without realizing its value, you won't fully appreciate it and you'll never really get the full value out of that thing. Only after not having it and experimenting what life is like without such a manual and try to make it on your own and see what a disaster it is, and see how what a massive failure it is, and then say, okay, you tried that. Now you see how important it is to have a manual to live life by. That's the word Torah, the description of Torah is Tiferes. It has the beauty of both the love of God, the fear of God. It's the balance. It's the beauty it's the harmony. That's what the Torah is. It's not too strict. It's not too lax. It's that beautiful golden mean. That's what the Torah is all about. The beautiful golden mean. This golden mean is what you would only appreciate it once you realize that I can't live without it. I, we, 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 it was such a spectacular failure in the days of before the flood. Then we'll appreciate it. And that was part of the reason why God waited till 
generations later to give the Torah so that it'll be properly recognized that we can't live without it. Thank you, Rabbi. Uh, I think we've uh, hopefully sufficiently covered this question. I want to move on to the next question. In the coming week, we're going to be learning about Abraham. Avram Avinu, Abraham, our patriarch, excelled in a specific trait of kindness. And he mastered his relationship with God through kindness. He saw God's kindness with humanity. And through that, he was able to connect and say, wow, there must be a creator here. It's impossible for there to be a, a, a palace without a master. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't just show up. That's how he connected with Hashem. The question posed is, what trait is the most important trait for one to invest? Abraham found God through kindness. Uh, Isaac found God through, through yira, through fear. Jacob, through truth, through MS. In your opinion, what is the most important trait that one should invest in? Well, I see this. It's a very interesting. If you look at the prayer that we say, the Amidah, that we say every day, three times a day, we say, Blessed are you, Hashem, our God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And the commentaries discuss this. What is this idea of repeating the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob? We could just say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the same God, isn't that? So what's the point? And the message, as I understand, and this is really addressing this question, is that there isn't a one-size-fits-all. What spoke to Abraham wasn't exactly what spoke to Isaac. But Isaac had to really find what spoke to him as a, in a more personal way. And the same with Jacob. And that's how it works. It's not a one-size-fits-all in terms of the most important attribute. Every human being is created differently. It has a different combination of personalities that comprise who them, who they are. And therefore, to say, well, this works for me doesn't necessarily work for you. And of course, there is a commonality of obviously all attributes are very important. And, uh, but there's, and there's, and, and there, all the mitzvahs are binding regardless of how you connect to God. But in terms of choosing an attribute that is the most important, really that's more personal and one needs to discover that more for themselves. One of the ideas that I share many times in the Musser classes that we have, the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, is why was man called man, Adam? He was called Adam because the Torah tells us because he was taken from the Adama. But our sages teach us that there's another way to look at that word. He was called Adam because of the word Adameh. Adameh means 
to emulate God. Our job in this world is to emulate God. Now, we know we talk a lot about character traits and midos. Midos are measurements, not character traits. But yet, that's the way we refer to character traits. We call it midos. Midos as in measurements. And our sages teach us that every single human being has a different construct of traits. One person has, let's call it like you ever walk into a lab, you see all of these different uh, fluids, these liquids, and they're all different, different, you know, this, the yellow is this height and the 65 and the purple is 90. And you have all of these different measurements. That is the construct of each and every person's midos, the character traits that they were born with, that they were gifted with. There's no person who's perfect. Every person is born with deficiencies. But every person is given the ability to do great things and to accomplish unbelievable greatness with the traits that they were gifted with and with the deficiencies that they were gifted with. Everyone has a different composition. There are no two people. So what could be for one individual, uh, that why are you getting so upset? Well, it could be that this person shouldn't be judging because... They come, they have a different temperament. They don't understand the temperament that this person was given to, given the, the set of tools that they were gifted with. So every single person is gifted with their own basket of fruit. Everyone's got their own issues. Everyone's got their own problems. And everyone is given a different way in which they see the world. You know, one of the most common infractions that people share with me in their midos is their impatient. I once had a woman in the class and she says to me, whoa, Rabbi, what's the topic next week? I said, the topic is we're talking about patience. She says, ah, I'm such a patient person. I don't think I need to come. I said, well, you might want to consider coming because you may learn a thing or two about patience that you didn't know. So she said, okay. So she came to the class. Sure enough, the following week she was there and I think it was a reasonable class. The following week after that, she says, announces in front of the whole class, she says, Rabbi, I need to ask you for forgiveness. She said, two weeks ago, in all of my arrogance, I said, I don't need to work on my on my patience because I'm such a patient person. She says, but I didn't even understand what patience was. She says, as I pulled out of the class last week, there was a car in front of me that wasn't driving fast enough, and I honked at them. I'm like, move it. And then it, it occurred to me, she said, I'm not as patient as I think I am. And sometimes developing the topic of each of these traits that we are gifted with, learning through them. We have a, a lot of investment of resources in our podcasts, uh, particularly the Jewish Inspiration Podcast, where we go through mida after mida, trait after trait, and working on identifying what the trait is and hopefully giving some tools to perfect them. But the idea of perfecting them is not just so that I'm less irritable and not just that I'm less arrogant and not just that I'm less, uh, you know, selfish. The objective is to become more godly and to be godlike. So the, the answer to the question, like you were saying, Rabbi Nagel, is for each individual to find what traits speak to them because one person maybe they need to work on anger and we look at the almighty the almighty is slow to anger another person it could be love to learn to love and to give and to be kind everyone has their own thing and the 
specialty of Judaism is that it's not one size fits all. Every single individual has their own path. Every single individual has their own journey. And there's no two people who are alike. So I think that overall, we need to focus on our strengths, use those strengths to overcome our our flaws. It's just one comment that you said that in my mind is so golden. I just want to focus on that. You said everyone is gifted with different strengths and gifted with different deficiencies. And I love the use of that word, gifted with a deficiency. What kind of gift is that? This is what I'm lacking. This is what I, what I, what I have such a hard time with. And the ant, to me, yes, it's the best gift. Being perfect is no point for you in this world. You, there's nothing for you to accomplish. But where your deficiency is, that's God's gift to give you what to work on and where you need to g- teach you, to focus you on where you need to perfect yourself. That's the biggest gift. Being born perfect is not what Judaism is all, all about. There's a famous discussion in the Talmud. This Roman general, Ternus Rufus, approached Rabbi Akiva and he said, what is greater, God's work or man's work? And Rabbi Akiva intuited that he was asking about the mitzvah brismila, if assuming he would answer that God's work is, of course, more perfect than man's, then why are we mutilating our bodies with the mitzvah of brismila, of circumcision? And the answer that Rabbi Kiva answered on the spot is, of course, man's work is much better than God's. He said, he showed him a sheave of wheat and he showed him a loaf of bread and he said, which would you rather eat? Turnus Rufus. The sheave of wheat that God made or the bread that had human hands? And that shows that that's how God created this world with a place for us to complete his creation, to be partners with God in creation, to bring the world to a better place. He, he, made room for us, so to speak, by having an imperfect world that we can join, so to speak, in God's hands in bringing it to perfection. And that is really, in a nutshell, what the Torah is here to teach us. A beautiful idea. I want to add to it that the imperfection that we talk about, that a person is lacking in their in their character. There's something more that I need to accomplish. The Mishnah teaches us time and again. The objective of Judaism is not the results. It's the journey. It's the hard work. The job is not to be perfect. That's not what God wants from us. But he wants us to never, ever stop pursuing perfection. Hopefully one day we'll attain it. But never stop pursuing it. Always have your finger on that, on that pulse of how am I going to be better today? How am I going? Oh, you'll never be perfect. You'll never be perfect. Guess what? God wants you to always continue pursuing it. Do we ever say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to necessarily be, you know, 
the best at uh, at baking, so why should I even bother? I'm never going to be the best at the at dancing, so why should I even bother? That's not the goal. Never stop pursuing it. You may not be the best singer. You may not be the perfect singer, but never stop pursuing it. And that applies in every area of life. Never stop pursuing. Our job is to be in this world, Adam la'amal yulad. We're in this world to toil, to work hard, to never stop pursuing greatness. Beautiful. Okay, this is an amazing session. I hope you all enjoyed. And we'll see you next time. Thank you very much, Rabbi Nagel. We hope that you will like and share this podcast with your friends. Uh, if you have any questions, please reach out to us at unboxing at torchweb.org. Have a terrific day. Thank you very much, Rabbi Nagel.